0: Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info, that's halle We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Today, we are going over the Torah portion called uh, Chayei Sarah, which covers basically chapter 23 and 24 and a good chunk of 25 in Genesis. So before we get going, uh, just a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us your words. And we ask for your spirit to guide us and help us to remember the things that you've taught us. We thank you for giving us the word made flesh in your son, Yeshua. Father, we thank you for all these things in his name. Amen. So, chaye, sarah. Means uh, life of Sarah or lives of Sarah. That's what we're going to be actually focusing a lot in today. And if you want to see some previous studies that we've covered on this particular passage, you could go to halal.info slash P5. So that's uh, Paul. 5 the letter p5 and that stands for parasha so we're on the fifth parasha of the news cycle so halal.info slash p5 you want to access all of the other studies that we've done on this for over a decade so lots of material in there to go over and if you want to see both the replay of this Or if you want to see the previous ones we've done in the the last few weeks, you can go watch the video for it at halal.info slash services replay, halal.info slash services replay, that's plural. And um, I have it capitalized services and replay just so it's easier to read, but it doesn't matter if it's capitalized or lowercase. Just trying to make it a little bit easier to read there. So, going on to where we're headed today, just a very brief recap of where we are going in our discussion today. I guess you could say One Life to Live, kind of like the old soap opera title, Versus Many Lives to Give, which is one of the things that we're going to key off of uh, some very ancient riffing on the a title for this particular passage and the opening verse there in Genesis 23. one. So, in Genesis 23, we see that Avraham is putting down roots there in the land, some um, actual physical roots, acquiring real estate while he's mourning for Sarah. So, we see the first beginning verses where he's mourning. Then from verses 3 through the 20 and the rest of the chapter is where he's Targeting for his first real estate in the land, uh, having a place that is specifically his, not acquired, but purchased. And you'll see that um, we talked in one of our last sessions about motifs or these re- recurring patterns, and that is a recurring pattern that you'll see in, in the Bible where these transactions are made. They're even prophetic transactions, as you see the, the prophet uh, Yirmiyahu makes a uh, prophetic transaction that uh, portends the return of the people to the land and basically buying land back again, so to speak. But that's something for another matter. Uh, Genesis 24 uh, talked about the wife for Yitzhak or Isaac. So, going to find a wife. And one of the key themes in there is, um, you see these are a family and a people that are um, in a place, but sort of out of place. In a time, but sort of out of time. They're very emphatic instructions that the wife for Yitzhak, the wife that's going to, the wife for the promised son is not going to come from the people of the land. And uh, they're specifically mentioned of the, the sons of Chet. And also the wife is not going to come from Haran where um, Avraham left from. And uh, so you're kind of seeing the in-between period the in-between place of where he's coming from. And as we see in the later sections of Genesis that we're going to go over <laughs> this in-between period, you might say, well, uh, maybe he had been better if he went back to Haran, you know, so if there's problems with idolatry or uh, similar issues back there in Haran, was was it really as bad as being admired for uh, over a decade with? the um, shady dealings of his uh, relative Laban. Very interesting. But you see, even in the midst of that, that even if there is a shady dealings with relatives that are like, okay, even with this deal, I'll take the deal. I'll, I will, um, you might say suffer through it, but as we'll read in passages to come, that, he worked joyfully because he saw what the end result was and even saw it as he was realizing it and, and quote serving out his term, so to speak. But then we see our passage then uh, ending today in Genesis 25, the first 18 verses where we see that Avraham, after the death of Sarah, he remarries. And then we also see the outcome of uh, the the um his wife uh, hagar and then the son there of ishmael so trying to move that uh that promise forward uh, ending up with ishmael but then we see his lineage go on but then we see like that last little line says that he he uh, settled or he dwelled kind of opposite uh, his brothers so one of the ways that it's kind of a, a double wording there it could be seen as um, as basically a cross from or in opposition to which was what the prophecy that was given to Hagar about the, the son to come is that you know uh, his hand would be <laughs> at the throat of uh, his brothers and uh, everyone would be against him so amazing how those things come around so where we're going to focus most of our time in here today is actually in the, the first uh, two verses of this particular passage and keying off of there, uh, the section we talking about the the life or the lives of Sarah as it uh, you know, literally could be translated there in Hebrew, where he is mourning for his, his wife. And one of the things that's very interesting to to note here is the care for the dead. You might think, oh, this is a terribly morbid topic, but when you when you look into the uh, Hevra Kadisha, which is uh, Aramaic for holy society, the the ancient uh, Jewish tradition of care for the dead—people basically who devote themselves to uh, caring for the dead body just after death and what they go through at that. It was very interesting. It came up recently um, in discussions among uh, Eastern Orthodox Christians because they indeed have a something very, very similar to the Havera Ketisha. And the interesting aspect of that is seeing that, yes, death has its sting, death has its separation, but it is something that is not to be feared but um, approached into, respectively. You know we in Western society try to avoid any sort of um, realization that we are limited, our lives are limited, and so we try to prolong our days or to um, cheat death or to reverse. The effects of aging, but one of the things that we can truly see is, is that in this, it's not only for the family that, and the friends and the acquaintances who continue on, but it is also to have this looking forward. So, both in Jewish tradition and Eastern Orthodox tradition, there is the idea of looking forward and looking forward to the resurrection, where the hope is. So, we can see that, yes, um, some people who like to equivocate, and equivocate is your great 50-cent word for the day, and equivocate just means that you're trying to say, like, equi, so that's for drawing something that's equal between them. Um, so, saying that equivocate, uh, so you're saying things are equal, So, you are trying to draw a distinction saying, okay, uh, Jewish traditions, uh, Orthodox Christian tradition has this uh, caring for the dead. So, thus, when you see it in a pagan culture or some other culture, that they also have a care for the dead, like a key thing is… We've all seen it when we go to a museum is the Egyptians with their, um, their incredible embellishments that they do of their tombs and uh, the pyramids and, you know, seeing uh, King Tut and all of the gold and everything like that, that I do. Well, isn't that the same? Isn't that just a, a different variation on it? You slap a different deity's name on it and then call it something different or but when you, when you see, just to take the Egyptian idea, um, for example, one of the things that you see the opulence there in the tomb like King Tut is for the idea that, well, he would need those things for the afterlife, which he was then going to be going straight into from there. So, thus, you load up the tomb to benefit the um, the. King or the potentate or the important person, they're going into their next phase. So one of the things that you see uh, different with the both the Hevra Kaddisha and also Orthodox uh, Christian approaches to this is that it is, you know if you've ever seen pictures of one or video or attended one yourself, very simple um, approach to the the washing cleansing, the reciting of, of psalms, hymns, uh, different passages and prayers, and washing the body, um, you could know, say dunking the body as it is in the uh, Jewish tradition, uh, at least uh, by some will do it three times, others have different numbers of times they do it, and then you know, getting it into a plain box, getting it into the ground. You know, the idea of from dust we are and from dust we'll return. So let that um, uh, natural in the state of the fallen world, let that continue as it will be. You know, the Lord has created the system of the world to deal with such things. But one of the things that we also see is that with this care for the body, you also see a hope for the future and a trust that the one who created the body, as temporary and feeble and limited as it is, will also be the one that will recreate the body. And you know, the question will come in: Well, what happens if uh, someone met an untimely end, or their body is lot lost, they've gone down in the sea, whatever, and you don't have a body? Or it went up in in smoke for whatever reason. Well, then what then? Well, in that case, we see that the one who (laughs) formed from the dust of the earth and breathed life into Adam in the beginning is certainly able to do that with whatever again. So, is the creator... Of Heaven and Earth limited, or is the idiom that you 'll see in the word is it uh, is his arm shortened to not be able to do that? Mm. so uh, one of the other things that we can see is that, like the Messiah was raised from death, so will be those who trust in him here are a couple of passages that go along with this. This one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a great resurrection chapter. We're just taking a couple little snippets from it, but in the, in the context of it, it is uh, to talk about hope in the things to come and hope in even a world as, as broken and diseased as it is. We can see here, but if there is no resurrection of the dead not even Mashiach or Christ has been raised. And if Mashiach has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Mashiach, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Messiah has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Messiah have perished. And just skipping down a little bit in the same chapter, down to verse 29 in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised at all why then are they baptized for them why are we also in danger every hour i affirm brethren by the boasting in you which i have in messiah yeshua our lord i die daily if from human motives i fought with wild beasts at ephesus what does it profit me if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die, which is a quotation from isaiah 2213 and 5612 which is also quoted again in a parable uh, found in the Gospel of Luke as well from the Meshiach himself. So that's one of the things that we can, we can see in this in both of these particular passages that um, we see in this passage that The key of the promise of life to come and also our trust in the Lord and what he's doing with us is very keyed into resurrection of the dead. And you see that in the discussions that the Apostle Paul has with the Sanhedrin uh, when he's put on trial that... (laughs) The resurrection being a key thing, you've got the the Petushim or the Pharisees that uh, believed in the resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees or the Sadducees um, said, uh, "No, not resurrection of the dead," being a key dividing line there. So, one of the interesting things that we see here in this passage in. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 29 through 32, especially um, that causes some people to uh, scratch their heads if they are uh, disconnected from the the fact that uh, there was a uh, Jewish culture at the time is what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are they baptized for them? Now, um, there there is a, a group um, that does have the belief that this is related to being uh, baptized like in a salvific form for someone else who is dead. And uh, that has taken the form of finding genealogical records and then, you know, making sure that you yourselves are baptized in the place of someone who is dead. Now (laughs) this, when you actually see the, um, the rituals that are involved with the Hevra kaddisha, you're seeing that, uh, no, this is actually talking about a washing or dipping of the body itself, not for salvific purposes, but in a midst of cleansing and also, you know, in a sense of the idea of water washing things away. So, the idea of a reaching the, the the final stage where the and it talks about the um the cleansing waters that come out from sea and you see in the in the prophetic pictures of the day of the lord that that is the hope and the promise that that the lord will wash everything away so why is this care for the body um not just discarding the body as trash or as uh, some people do today as compost, but treating it with respect because of the hope and the promise of what's to come and the hope and the promise of the one who created heaven and earth and the one who sent the Mashiach. We'll see that even more as we go on just a little bit further here. So, one of the things that... You know, we can see certainly that we we definitely do grieve the loss of the companionship, whether you're you're talking about a spouse or a dear friend or father, mother, uh, children, even as as they die, you are grieving that loss of companionship. But there's also hope in the surety. That the one who created heaven and earth, the one who created the trees, the blue sky, the sunshine, the rain, all of the wonderful creatures down to cats and dogs and people, the language even, that the one who did all that will certainly can do it again and said he will do it again. And that that is a surety. So... Yes, we have the grief that we're going to be departed um, and separated from our friends and relatives and loved ones for a time. But that companionship will be restored in the life to come. And it's as sure as things are now. Uh, We in modern culture um, have lost lost the real appreciation for hope. And uh trust in things that you know are not concrete, even though in reality we still have faith and trust in the things that we may not see as concrete when we we trust in in gravity because we say, well, if it was that way tomorrow and it's this way now, then it'll be that way uh it'll be that way next week or whatever. If it was the same yesterday and today, tomorrow, we can count on it, right? Well, we're actually trusting that it will continue as it is. It's a whole other philosophical discussion of how you can, you can uh, have things and depend on things in the future that you've seen in the past. But just needless to say, that even those who claim that they only believe in the things they can touch and, and sense and this and that, they do have a lot more faith than they let on to because they are trusting that things will be as they've seen it before. And that you know may not necessarily be the case if things are just random happenstance versus something that's well thought out and held together. But that's another discussion. One of the things that we do have the trust in in the hope in is for that which is to be restored. That is the lives of those who are lost to be restored. And one of the, another promise that we have through the apostle Paul in first Thessalonians chapter four, another um, apocalyptic day of the Lord preview in uh, first Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 and 14 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Yeshua. This goes back to discussion that Yeshua had, you know, related to uh, Lazar or Lazarus there, and you know they his discussion and finally having to say to them he kept telling him well he's asleep you know maybe you just wake him up no finally had to say no he's dead but he is going to bring him back the power of god is not a problem with death and we've talked about this on the occasions related to some of the the troubling things that we see in the tanakh there about a Judgment of death coming down upon cities and upon everybody who's in there. But that is only from our limited frame of reference of being mortal, finite beings that we have a beginning, we have an end. For the creator of life itself, death is not a problem. Death is something that can be reversed and is promised to be reversed. So, hallelujah and praise God that we have a relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, not um, a, not some sort of uh, you know, middleman or a broker of the power of heaven and earth or someone that we have to appeal to this and that. Maybe if we piece together our appeals into the divine, maybe we'll get to the, uh, the right quote divine department that will be able to deal with our needs no we are dealing directly with the creator of heaven and earth that is that is a definitely When we talk about good news of the kingdom of god that is fantastic news compared to all of the other ideas on how the the world and the universe works that are circulate throughout the world so to the question that we have here in in Genesis chapter 23 verse 1 so how many quote lives did sarah have And just a couple of notes here on what people have riffed on in the past over this, Uh, there is one Rabbi Akiva, you'll hear him talked about a lot, Um, he saw a parallel between Sarah's 127 year life and the 127 provinces that uh, Queen Esther ruled in Persia, and uh, as we come up to Purim time, coming up early next year, we'll be reading through her story again, but uh, Akiva saw Sarah as, you know, so her name changed from, you know, m- you know my princess to uh, princess when her name changed from Sarai to Sarah. So he saw her as, as Sarah, the princess of time and what happened within that time. While you uh, have Esther, was a ruler over peoples and land. So you have an interesting parallel that he saw there is that you have a picture of what were her lives entail that she was, um, uh, she was one who ruled over not just, uh, not just uh, people in the time, but also the, the lives of the people themselves. So, Also, the uh, Rabbi Rashi was riffing on the Hebrew construction of her age. And as it's rendered there, it says 100 years and 20 years and 7 years. And so, typical translation will have it 127 years. And uh, Rashi riffed on that and said, well, that refers to different stages of Sarah's life and the characteristics of which she carried from one stage of her life to the next and to the next. And so, it kind of compounded and grew over time. So, thus a quotation from Rashi says, it was written that way. So, each of the number three parts could be interpreted separately. At 100, Sarah was as free of sin as a 20-year-old for a 20-year-old does not suffer. Subject to punishment for sin, uh, goes back to that idea we've talked about in earlier times about the, you know, the age for war and the age of accountability and such, uh, which is another discussion. Uh, continuing on with this quote. And at 20, she was as beautiful as a seven-year-old. Such were the years of the life of Sarah, all of them equally good. So, the idea there that one compounded on the next, compounded on the next, and various people have riffed on Rashi's thoughts there of what that means of one, one piece of Part of his, her life going and building on to the next and to the next. So when he was talking about, she was very beautiful. You had this uh, youthful quality that even when she was into her nineties, uh, she was uh, still a, you know, quote, knockout unquote, and attracting the attention of, uh, of uh, foreign, foreign leaders. But one thing uh, to note in this discussion is that the Hebrew word for life is often rendered in the plural as uh, chayim and kind of like water is rendered in the plural as uh, chayim and you know, also another example is re- related to the, the, the heavens as well. But, One of the things that when you do uh, different uh, word searches on uh, chai, which is the singular form of that, it shows up 122 times throughout the Tanakh, and chayim shows up 130 times throughout the Tanakh. Um, And the interesting uh, part is where you you often see chai used is uh, earlier on in the genealogies, where they talk about, uh, a good example is, Talks about um, Adam lived. Now, in that case, it's the verb form of hay or haya, depending on how it's rendered. So, you know, it says that Adam lived. So, it's rendered there as hay. In some cases, it can be the the noun form. Some cases, the verb form. The fun parts about Hebrew is being a verb paced language. But another thing to think about with this is you know while we can talk about some sort of spiritual aspects of uh, this uh, construction of 100 years and 20 years and seven years one of the important things to remember is that whenever you go off on a journey of a spiritual application of something to make sure that it's grounded at least into what it's actually talking about in the passage itself so the one thing to remember in this is that large Hebrew numbers are often rendered additively in the in the sense that it's usually in the form of uh, W, thousands, and X, hundreds, and Y, tens, and Z. Or sometimes it's in the reverse, uh, depending on how it's viewed. And there are uh, some arguments that people have made that uh, putting it in the reverse order has some other... Um, applications and uh points that the writer is trying to get across but that's another discussion and we see that this form of you know the in this case be x hundreds or a hundred and y tens and z and you see that in sarah's age in the way that's rendered but that's um a discussion that we got into as we begin into uh numbers chapter one, and then you start seeing those uh incredibly large numbers of you know the the six hundred and sixty thousand people and you're like, Well, what is that and some people have reflected, well uh some of those uh placeholders for like l f refers to uh tribe or uh clan or division or uh, some people will say like generals or leaders or something like that. The problem, though, is, is that as we've discussed in times past on this, or we've gone through this in extensive uh, number of examples, is that this is just the way Hebrew works is that these are the way big numbers are rendered they're rendered uh, broken up and it's uh, kind of like when you write out a check and you say how many thousands and how many tens and and this and that that's a lot of the way Hebrew works like how it renders these numbers you see it in the genealogies you see it in the lists that of the census you see it uh, in ages how they're rendered that's just the way hebrew works in this case so you know you you can you can see that uh there might be some spiritual application to these various divisions of sarah's age but then also abraham's age is rendered back in chapter 12 in almost the identical same way so um that's just something to note as far as the pashat or the plain meaning of it but on to the meat of where we're going here today one can easily see that just with the division of Sarai versus Sarah And we've talked previous times about what the significance is, is when the, when the Lord is renaming somebody that it's, they're taking on uh, like a a division in their life they're moving into a new stage a a new mission and so that you could see these as being different uh, stages of life for this very important matriarch as uh, folks have noted over a long period of time being unique in that her age is mentioned Um, in Women always don't like to have their age mentioned. Um, I'm certainly, if it's 127, you may not like to have your age mentioned. But if you're a knockout when you're 90, maybe it's not so bad. But anyway, uh, we see also that there were, quote, lives of Abram versus Avraham and Yaakov in Israel and Shimon and named Peter and Peter Petros, when you go back in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, it's rendering um, oftentimes one of the ways that it's often rendered is a or, you know, mighty rock. And that is interest, interestingly a uh, euphemism or a circumlocution or a description of uh, the Lord as being, you know, the Tsur of Israel. Even uh, part of uh, Jewish hymns that they talk about the Rock of Ages. So the also is in uh, Shaul, the the Apostle Shaul in this case, when he is renamed uh, Paul or Paulos, he is moved into a different way of life. And the interesting part of Shaul is the one is uh, to to hear or to be called, actually, and uh, Paul moves in as a descriptor of where his life was going to go. And indeed, we can see our own lives as BP, so to speak, or before Passover, and AP, or anti-Passover, or after Passover. So, we see those as dividing lines for when heaven has really delivered us from our house of bondage to a life that we were far off from the kingdom of god to where we are brought near and we've talked in previous times when it gets up to pesach time about the patterns of pesach and the different um, meanings and remembrances that are encapsulated into it for example Pesach is an annual memorial of that singular moment when God freed Israel from the house of bondage in Mitzrayim under Moshe's leadership. So, we're talking about specific point in time, but we also see that rift on later as the people come out and they get ready to go into the land and then you also see foretold in later times in Isaiah 43:18 and 19 talking about forgetting the formal the former things and you see in the context where it's talking about the the Exodus experience the the formation of the people of God from a family to a nation And you see it riffed on specifically in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 8. So, we'll just take a look at a couple of these. Uh, Verse 19 of Isaiah 43, where it says, Behold, I will do something new. And so, when you see in the context of it, this something new is really bringing the people back, bringing this, foretelling the the bringing back. And that time, we're talking about the exiles, and it's about to spring forth. But the interesting aspect of it here is, says, will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So, as we've uh, talked about previously, that we saw these motifs, these patterns that are repeated in the interactions with Avraham, and sarah and with the pharaoh of egypt and then abimelech and then we're going to see it again with uh, yitzhak and rivka these things get repeated over and over again now like happens in music like happens in history like um there's uh, one great uh, hist- historical writer was saying that you know if you don't learn from history you're doomed to repeat it um various ways that's been translated but one other way that people have riffed on that particular idea is that um, history doesn't necessarily repeat, but it rhymes, especially when you're talking about um Very specific things that happen for specific reasons because of uh, the way people behave. um, You tend to have this cyclical thing that will happen because of how uh, people's natures are, a fallen nature, um, but also an aspirational nature. So you want to climb out of it, but you fall back into it situations over and over and over again. Um, As rendered very graphically in the Proverbs about talking about a dog returning to his own vomit, uh, that's pretty graphic, but uh, also very true. And in, in the case of where you have the Creator of heaven and earth stepping in to specifically make things happen then it's like, okay, uh, this is happening for specific reasons and pointing to something new that's going to happen. So, well, what is this something new? Now, remember, this is Isaiah 43, and this is in the midst of one of the prophecies in, uh, as you find it primarily back in, in Isaiah 42, where it's talking about one of the servant prophecies. And that case is talking about um, Israel as riffing on the servant but we see that yes it's talking about israel but it's also pointing forward to a greater servant and that greater servant gets introduced uh, some chapters later in in 52 53 where we see this great servant um, that is more than israel that's actually carrying israel carrying the all of the um, muck Not only the muck and mire of Israel, but also the slander and attacks of Israel. Um, That's a very interesting picture that we see, but it's something that's been building throughout time. Now the passage in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses five through eight, behold, the days are coming to close the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land and his days, uh, Yehuda will be saved and Israel will dwell securely and he. Hi- And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Mitzrayim, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the Northland and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. So, thus we see this great picture, and that's uh, why. Why suddenly, uh, sadly, the our brothers and sisters in the uh, you could say the house of Yehuda or the uh, greater house of Yehuda will see. Well, uh, Yeshua, uh, how could he be this branch? Because where have they come back from the northland and all the countries where they were driven first during the Assyrian? exiles uh, of of the, the Northern kingdom of that was called Israel. And then later on under Babylon with the Southern kingdom, where have they gone? Where have, why have they not come back? And you see that uh, picture, and especially with the second exile to Babylon, that's when you read on in the history, that there was only a portion of those who went to Babylon, and their descendants, a portion of the descendants who went to Babylon, actually came back and reestablished and worked to build the land back up again. Now, we see that prophetically speaking with the passages in the prophets that um, called about, you know, out of Mitzrayim I have called my son. And that is riffing on. The point in history of the Exodus, the original one back there with Moshe and the plagues and all that stuff, but also looking forward to a time where the people would be freed in a greater sense. And then you see also that uh, riffing on that in the time of revelation, where you see the call that goes out, you know, to um, fall and fall and is Babylon the great. And then the call come out of her, my people. So you have these pictures of these uh, places where of captivity that the people have been maybe, and you see in the case later on in, in revelation where they, have been there's a lot of deception that has gone on for those people but that confusion that deception come out it's it is no longer the time to stay there this is the formation now of the kingdom of god is now coming in to end the confusion to end the reign of misery and that is being brought to an end so time time to leave babylon for good not just uh, the people who are really the entrepreneurial spirit, so to speak, but those who want to form the greater land. So as we come back in here and we see that these motifs that come again and again throughout thereabouts, not just a first exodus that would come out of the house of bondage, but a greater exodus. We also see that in the midst of this greatest exodus of all, and the day of the Lord, that when we overcome, we get a new name. And this is a part of the messages that go to the seven congregations there in the book of Revelation that you see in chapters two and three. We'll take a look at a couple of those uh, here right now. We're going to first look at uh, Revelation chapter two, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches or the ecclesia. Uh, the assemblies to him who overcomes to him. I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. So remember we were talking about with the name change that, that the names meant something specific for the people and their, their new lease on life. Now the question is, is that with the overcoming that we are experiencing and that the Lord continues to work with all of us on, you know, what is this, this name? And what is this name that is being written on us when we overcome, what will be our lives? So to speak, the new creation that the Lord is doing with us, what will that quote name be? And as we've mentioned in times before, name is more than just you know pronunciation spelling etc it's about reputation it's about character the things that persist and can be quote translated into any language you want it will still be that you know you can um the like sitting Bull, the 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 great uh, indian chief you know you can that's rendered in english of course now how would it be rendered in the various native languages or German or anything else? It would be rendered differently, but if it carried the same meaning of sitting bull, then message received, it's been taken care of. So, thus, the name that we are given, the hidden manna and that's a great little hook and clue for uh, Deuteronomy, and it talks about daily bread and what we've seen there with the the lesson that came in Exodus 16 to Israel in the midst of the great Exodus, and as you're moving from the house of bondage to the mountain of freedom and to the land of rest. So, thus you are given hidden manna, the daily bread what is it actually doing within you? Are you just uh, stuffing yourself and you need to add some more notches on your belt or is it actually feeding you down to the point where it sustains you as you develop this name and this name that is being created for you. Then when it is written down, you read that and go, yes, that is me. Next passage here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Yerushalayim, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So thus you have not also the overcoming and the, the, um, our new name that comes upon us from the overcoming, but also written on us, the name of the Mashiach, the name of the one who took us there, the name of the lamb. So that also stamped upon us. So, We'll I end things out here with a riff on the haftarah. Of um, we've got a question here about uh, the leaving Babylon for good. Yes, that is definitely what we want to do: leave the land of confusion for good. But one of those things that uh, has to come into focus as we're thinking about Babylon is that we actually recognize when we are being hoodwinked and that we are being led off and we are being led by someone who is not the creator of heaven and earth. And one of the key ways that we know that we are not being led off by someone we don't know is that there is not a, you could say a uh, change in what we are reading and what we are hearing Because how do we know that the message that comes from the gospels, that comes from revelation, that comes from the prophets is correct and is coming from the same source because it aligns with the message from the beginning. If you're getting a different message, if you're saying in one place as uh, is commonly, commonly put forward that the Mashiach came as as um, as it's rendered in some translations that M- Messiah, Christ is the end of the law. Well, Christ is the, more specifically, in Greek it says the telos, he's the telos of the law, or you could say like the telescope of the law that allows us to see where you're going, to see beyond where you are to what's up ahead. So, Messiah, as you then read it in context of Paul's message there in Romans, you'll see that. That indeed is what the point of the law is, is to say, hey, this is why a Mashiach is needed. A Mashiach is not some sort of um, plot twist that was just thrown in to spice up the action. You know, the case the people start falling asleep when you're going through Leviticus, throwing some car crashes and explosions, and then suddenly the audience wakes up again. Mashiach is not the um, proverbial car crash in the plot. Mashiach is the absolute essential part. You cut out the Mashiach and it's like, what is the point of this? Where is it going? It's no different from any other thing I've ever heard from any guru or um, somebody whispering in the dark anywhere else on the planet. So, uh, taking a look here at our Haftarah section, it's going to be in First Kings chapter 1. And again, we have, if you go to the halal.info slash p5 in years past, uh, Daniel went through a sections of the Kings. So, he riffed a lot on this particular passage of First Kings chapter 1. So, we're going to just dip our toe in there for a, a reminder of things and what is being discussed. But it is. It does as we will see here shortly does fit in with what our particular discussion is today you say duh that's why they call it a haftarah, as a parallel passage because it's supposed to fit in in some way and very interestingly how did it uh, seems like it does. So, starting here in 1 Kings chapter one, uh, the section we're going to look at today is verse. Uh, started, stopped in verse eighteen, but really this this whole story and then continues to go on into uh, chapter two as well, and riffs on uh, parallel passages in the books of Samuel. Now King David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. So his servant said to him, let him seek a young virgin for my lord, the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse and let her lie in, let her lie in your bosom that my lord, the king may keep warm. So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout uh, all the territory of Israel, and they found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she became the king's nurse and served him, but the king did not cohabit with her. Now Adoniah, the son of Haggit, uh, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. Uh, His father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? And he was a very handsome man. And he was born after Absalom. He had conferred with Joab the son of Zariah, and with uh, Abitar the priest, and following Adoniah, they helped him. But Zadok, the priest, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, Natan the prophet, Shammai, Re, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adoniah. Adonia sacrificed sheep and oxen of Fatlands by the stone of Zehelet which is beside En-Rogel, and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Yehuda, the king's servants. But he did not invite Natan, the prophet, ben the mighty men, and Shlomo, his brother, Solomon. Then Natan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Shlomo, saying, Have you not heard that Adoniah, the son of Haggit, has become king? And David, our lord, does not know it so now come please let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son shlomo go at once to king David and say to him have you not my lord o king sworn to your maidservant saying surely shlomo your son shall be king after me and he shall sit on my throne why then has adonia become king behold While you're still here speaking with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went in to the king, into the bedroom. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was ministering to the king. Then Bathsheba bowed and prostrated herself before the king, and the king said, "'What do you wish?' She said to him, my Lord, you swore to your maidservant by the Lord, your God saying, surely your son Shlomo shall be king after me and he shall sit on my throne. Now behold, Adoniah is king. And now my Lord, the king, you do not know it. And then it goes on and on talking about uh, this um, conflict that's, that's going in here. So it, very interesting thing. Uh, titled this is a subtitle david gets cold feet you could say literally and uh figuratively and adonia gets a hot head so in looking at this uh just briefly again one of the things that we can see again these are motifs and patterns that are getting um slightly repeated again that you know just like with yitzhak you know rather than yes How old is David when he died? Boy, I do not recall.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm trying to remember. I sometimes get foggy on dates.
0: There we go. We're right in there in the in the end of it. Ah, seventy. It was a youngin. So just like with the Yitzhak rather than Ishmael was the chosen successor of Avraham, then Shlomo was the chosen successor for David over Adonia. Now one of the key things to remember is that in second Samuel chapter 7, which we looked at here in the recent past, is a hugely pivotal Uh, passage and is one that gets repeated over and over and over again over the centuries and especially in the in the period between the 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 end of when the the major prophets are writing and when the time of the gospels there that uh frame of uh, that the idea of the son of david becoming synonymous with the Mashiach really comes from this promise that Shlomo was going to be the successor. But one of the things that we see in this particular uh, leading up to this is that the leadership of Israel made the same mistake with Adonia, as they had with Shaul is gravitating to the most attractive person rather than reflecting on what's right. And what was one of the aspects that they mentioned about uh, Shaul, Saul, again, King Saul, Prince Saul was that he was head and shoulders literally above everybody else. And that's one of the things that, you know, they say just you know, psychologically, someone who is tall, Someone who is uh, speaks with a booming voice, those things they can pretty much sell you anything and get you convinced of anything. So you're know, talking about uh, glitz, um, attractiveness, uh, smooth delivery, those sorts of things. Hold on to your wallet if you uh, those sorts of things get combined together because they can sway you because you get this. This uh, view of confidence, authority. That's why all newscasters on TV are trained to speak in a lower voice. They try to speak in the lowest kind of range they can while not going into vocal fry where their voice is breaking up. Because psychologically, you will think that that comes through with authority. You know, they, you, as they say, like with uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, the, the, the retellings of his voice he kind of even though he was very tall he also had kind of a um, a higher pitched voice is what the some of the retellings of his voice are so with him it was a not only just the 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 height but it's kind of a contrast with his voice in that sense and there are some thoughts that that could have also been in the realm of the apostle Paul uh, may have not been the most uh, eloquent speaker. We see also with, with Moshe. Yeah. He said, Hey, my brother Aharon, much better speaker than I am. And that is one of the, the key challenges is when you're dealing with the, Another great 50 cent word of the day is gravitas, which comes from gravity and the, basically the idea that they have so much, um, so much charisma that either they look or they sound authoritative or the packaging around them is uh, so uh, impressive that you will not really think about what they're saying. It's all about the delivery. It's all about the style and the content gets left out. So that is like when you're when you're talking about um, <laughs> to quote to Martin Luther King Jr. about you know the color of your skin not so important the externals but what is the content of your character as as it says in the prophets you know the Lord and specifically talking about David it, the Lord looks upon the heart not just the the package so to speak not just the packaging so like with the the store caveat emptor, the buyer beware, um, just don't get sold on the packaging or the marketing. Look at what the character, the intrinsics are of it, uh, study it, take a look at it. Is this actually something that's heading you in the right direction? And here we see with, uh, with uh, David, very interesting uh, thing that happened with uh, David's wavering or his indifference. Uh, with Absalom earlier, then Adonia coming again, and then you see Shlomo's supporters were having to come in and intervene to put things, um, put things right. And then you see a little bit of also uh, wavering uh, related to Yitzhak over Esau, and then Rivka having to then bring in Yaakov to maneuver him into the right position. So, when you think about the, the, the name that Aronia was living up to, um, his name meaning, you know, my Lord is, or my master is Yah, my master is the Lord, um, didn't really live up to it because he really thought a lot of himself and uh, lifted himself up in that regard. So, this is a great illustration of something we get to later on, and when we go through the Torah's instructions about uh, judges and court systems, that you do not give deference to the, ex- the externals of a person and whether they're, their socioeconomic status. You don't give any deference to that when you're trying to decide between things that are right and wrong. You don't get swayed by money. You don't get swayed by, um, you know, your familiar, uh, familial status or your friendship with the person. You don't take those things into consideration. You look at what the essence of it actually is. So thus, it's a great setup in where we go as uh, people of God that when we look at our leaders, we really look at the things that are intrinsic them and don't get snowed by the packaging because like we're we're referencing revelation earlier we will see that a lot of the quote packaging and marketing involved around the power of the the beast and the power of his image and the false prophet that's there's a whole lot of snowing and marketing going on and we as the people of god need to look into the details and those details start with the Torah and then get revealed further through the prophets exemplified through the Mashiach and uh, reinforced again through the apostles and uh, down to the day of the Lord. So, uh, I was talking about reinforced by the apostles. This is not uh, as it's hinted at in uh, the passage we read back there in Isaiah 43. This is something new, And that case referring to the uh, sort of another exodus or a somewhat greater exodus of bringing the people back from the nations. But it is not something that is entirely new. That is something that did not resemble what was in the past. Because as we've mentioned on numerous occasions, the new covenant Prophecy that is recounted again and again and again in the New Testament, which uh, comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. When it's talking about this new deal, this new covenant that's coming down, it is the writing of the original law instructions upon the heart. So you could say, not different in substance, but different in application and administration. As we've mentioned going through the Torah's instructions, that uh, freedom and liberty is based upon being self administered, self governed, self controlled. The freedom will then, uh, people will want to roll that back or control or bring in more restrictions, the more that people become less self controlled, more um, just. I want what I want, and I don't care who gets hurt in the process. That is not the way that we have the freedom to, I just want to say, free to move about the country, uh, but free to move about the land, move about the world, move about society, because we each have our own boundaries that are, you know, the wisdom of heaven is shown to us, hey, these boundaries that we create around ourselves and that we respect other people's boundaries, that these things actually help all of us in the long run. And that is one of the, <laughs> the great messages of the, of the Torah is that these things that we might think are just nothing but chains are really freedom, which is why the Apostle Yaakov there in letter of james mentions and calls it the law of liberty is that it does bring liberty as paul then uses in another letter it says the law is lawful as long as it's used lawfully (laughs) so uh, if it is used unlawfully meaning a uh, hammer then or a way to gain dominance over other people You see then what happens and is explained at length in the prophets, like Isaiah chapter 1, where you have the people uh, dominating, the ones who are supposedly the ministers of the Lord, dominating, crushing the other people around them. And thus the cry goes up saying, hey, this is injustice, even though it's got the marketing, the packaging of the um, administration of God. It is not really the administration of God. Look at the details, look at the substance of it, not just the glitzy packaging. So, in that, I'll come to the end of our discussion here today, or any thoughts or, um, or questions? That you might think of that observations.
1: I was, I was thinking about what you were saying about how I, I got it. Uh-oh,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. The different people uh, you brought out, how different people stepped in to position different people for the right position. And I was thinking mm-hmm. about today, Yeah. today of all days, all the Christians that could possibly go to Washington are there to support our president. All the capitals of the different states, uh, the people have gone to their capitals to uh, uh, defend and protect our president. So uh, I think it's amazing how God works through people. I mean, it's, it's just amazing where... When he wants a certain person to be at a certain place, how different people are maneuvered to accomplish that task. I think God is awesome in all that he does to bring about what he wants to come about. Yeah, It just uh, just solidifies in my heart Mm -hmm. that God is in charge. I say hallelujah.
0: Yeah, hallelujah indeed yeah but we don't know yeah and and indeed one of the most important things when you're thinking about um going and supporting someone is that are you supporting the someone or the idea behind it and that is one of the reasons why we've talked about this in the past and in the case of like the self-governance of our particular country here the united states is that the the founders of this particular country did not want another king they didn't want anybody coming in with that authority so they purposely um put in lots of roadblocks and um things that will uh slow things down and limit power in there because um as we were talking about before, personalities can become corrupt. Uh, people can become corrupt. So, are we following the a thing that is happening, or are we following the person? You know, we brought this up in times past about Cyrus as being he was an anointed, he was a Mashiach of a type. But are we following Cyrus, so to speak, or are we following? the mission of God that is coming through Cyrus to reestablish the people, to bring the people back into the land. Because, you know, if we get too attached to people and lose what it is that we're actually fighting for, then we become, it becomes a cult of personality. And that is exactly what we just read about with Adoniah, was a cult of personality that he was forming around him. So, one of the things that we have to look out for, and the prophets in both the New Testament and the Old Testament warned us about this with the cult of personality, is that it can take us into a completely different realm and toward a different God if we are not extremely careful. And it even says that it can deceive even the very elect, can be uh, swept away by it. So, And be extremely careful what we get ourselves involved with and be sure that it's heading in the right direction. Well, I'm thinking it's just the lesser of the two evils. Yes. Well, again, again, when you you think of Cyrus, uh, Cyrus historically was not a pussycat and quite the opposite but he was a tool and as the prophets made made a lot of these folk realize is that they are tools and they can be discarded if they get too uppity in themselves so he he takes the leaders up and he takes them down so
2: yeah you guys can i'm sorry do you mind if i make a comment
0: oh go right ahead
2: Um, I really, like, totally am resonating with this study because, you know, like, we're having, like, this kind of, it's, America, we're so blessed, you know, right? So I guess my question would be to you is, like, how do we, you know, draw that line between, like, the king of Persia because of the politics today where it, it, it just feels like, you know, to me, you know, what matters is like, why is the Clinton Obama Biden legacy, you know, always not siding with Israel. And then, you know, we had a president that was, you know, pretty pro Israel and, you know, wanted to, you know, continue the along with the settlements. And then we have Biden coming back in now and saying, we're going to move the 67 borderline back. and just wipe you know out any progress for israel and it's just kind of like why doesn't you know kind of you know what i mean jeff like where do we where do we stand with this issue
0: you basically go with where the um the thrust of where the history and the word takes you, you know, cause you, we've read just earlier back in chapter 12 and such about Genesis, you know, about whoever blesses you, I'll bless. And whoever curses you, I'm going to curse or whoever, you know, doesn't acknowledge you. So, we've seen in the history of this country that there were a lot of when it started, the folks that acknowledged the, the Lord, even if they weren't quote religious, they still had great respect for the Lord. And even said that, you know, the Lord uh, and his teachings needed to be out into the populace. Uh, Even if they themselves, um, you know, couldn't come to them come to the belief in them and didn't really act like that they said this is the correct way to go and we, we we see that i mean that's what the apostle paul brings out in romans chapter 7 there's the good that i want to do but i don't do it there's a lot of people in the world that are like that they know the correct way that's like the you might say the moral atheist they know that there is a correct way to go because of through society or just you could say um moral inertia that they've it's come to them that they're they know that there is a correct way to go it's completely antithetical or against their own philosophy but they know that this is the correct way to go and then they go with it or they don't feel themselves compelled to really hold to it but they say this is the correct way to go so i will support it and push it forward so when you see those things that are going in that direction like a Cyrus making the decree to rebuild Yerushalayim, then you're saying, okay, this is headed in the direction of what the Lord has said that that is his wishes. So, yeah, that's why it's like to be very careful about getting uh, attached to particular people, attached to particular packaging, but attach ourselves to the principles and the, uh, the character that needs to be shown through. And so
2: that is more like, uh, you know, I agree with you. Like, how can people know the right way to go? Say, you know, which for me, we're, we're pro-Israel, you know, because they're the Lord's people. And I'm reading more in our study, Torah study about that and appreciating that. And then we have, you know, the Biden coming in trying to push back the settlements. And I feel like, you know, that's not what god probably would want i i don't really side with that and i feel like they're gonna build their temple eventually you know that's gonna happen they're pretty prepared for that or whatever but that's their own business but as far as them you know like you know us coming in there and trying to tell them they can't be on their own land that's not biblical you know
0: yep and so that's one of those things where you look at the hallmarks look at the fundamentals of where people say they want to go and where they want to take things um be careful of the marketing glitz but look at the um where they actually what what are their their views on the family what are their what are their views on you know how um you know how money works you because know, um There there are some rabbis out there that teach very astutely that money is spiritual. And as you see reflected in the gospels and elsewhere, you know, uh, that that money uh, can draw out of you evil and wickedness. And it is also a mirror of where your heart actually is. So, it is also a mirror of... The other principles we talked about, like boundaries around people, the idea of property—that is an extremely important principle. In fact, we just read about it today in in uh, chapter twenty-four, where we have a real estate transaction. That's, you um, know, it, it actually—it's funny that uh, chapter twenty-four reads a lot like a lot of deeds that I've seen recorded in in the sense that they're highly repetitive and uh, tend to talk a lot about uh, boundary markers and such like that you see a real estate transaction in there saying hey this is important that we are staking a claim here you know you're, because then you might say well what about where um the uh prophet and king david said you know how can heaven contain you much less this house that i've built for you well um the The also key is, is that that particular place in that particular region was also a beacon at the crossroads of the the world and a large sphere of influence of nations around it to bring great change and to bring the the, the, uh, message of the kingdom of God to the nations and to bring the nations to the kingdom of God. When we see in Revelation and the prophets that that again will become the nexus, the hub of, of the world in the world to come as well. So thus we say like whatever principles that people are um, moving forward on, uh, that is what you want to support. Now, one of the, the challenges that we've had in recent years is there's been uh, not recent years, but quite a few years, that there's been a lot of talk about these principles. Oh, yes, I, I believe in this and that and the other, but their actions will be quite different from that. So, you have to say, the, the, to borrow a line from one president, you know, trust but verify. It's like, okay, you say you want to do this or that or the other, but are you actually going to move forward with it and do it? So. That is, that is one, of the, one of the challenges that we have is, as people, because we, unlike any of the peoples that we've read about in, in the Word, um, we in this society can choose leaders. Now, you might say, okay, we don't really choose leaders and all kinds of funny stuff goes on, but at least we have that option. That wasn't an option in the Roman world. It wasn't an option in the, a lot of what we read about in the Bible. That was not an option. So we have to look at that for a lot of that time period. We were, you, were our ancestors were living under dictatorships of a form. And under the, the theocracies, you could say, well, theocracies are great which Israel was as long as it's ruled from heaven <laughs> as when it's not ruled from heaven and following heaven's principles then you could see what happens and it just slides right down into <laughs> what we uh, read about there in and Yahu and Yeshiahu and that's uh, just slides right down into hitting the reset button from heaven again so that is one of the the key worries that we have is to watch and to weigh things based on character and also the things of the word what is the substance of it not just the glitz of it not just the the presentation but what is the substance and what is the action on it and you know also to trust that the things that go on uh, may also be going on for a reason so uh, you think we were talking earlier about the um uh cyrus well think about uh the the prophet daniel being hauled off i bet you he didn't think that was a that was a great situation having babylon come in and and uh destroy jerusalem and being hauled off with his family or his, his friends so didn't think that was a great situation but that in that judgment He was put into a hugely influential position to then move things forward. So, in a sense, in the midst of these testing situations we get in, we have to realize that we stick to the things that we can deal with. There are other things that go on in the world we just have no control over whatsoever. But, and to... I paraphrase the Apostle Paul in relation to matters, in as far as it matters to you, live peaceably with everybody, to judge righteously in the realms that you have control over. Do what you can in the realms that you have control over. There are some things that will be out of control, out of our control, but we know in the grand sense of things, having read the back of the book that we know how things will work out. So, like in our discussions with Sarah and the care for her body, we just have to trust that the Lord, just like he will resurrect our loved ones who have gone out before us, thus, he will take care of what looks like hopeless situations. And we know, we've read this lots of times, the day of the Lord is one of darkness, smoke, really, really, really bad. And as we mentioned earlier, (laughs) the there's the the telling that maybe some of the elect may not even make it because it will be such a testing of our trust in God. So that is how we should approach everything: trust, verify, verify against what God has told us, and then move forward with trust that the Lord has got it. And even if we die in the process. So be it, the Lord will hit the reset button on us on the day of the Lord and hallelujah. Also those that have gone before us. So that's that's the good news, no matter how dark the situation looks. Any other thoughts or comments?
3: Larry hands his hand.
0: Oh Larry, yes.
4: I was watching uh, some teachings about about this. On the uh, YouTube as I am wont to do these days, and uh, there is interesting tie-in with the Book of Jasher on this topic. It really fills in. I don't know how you feel about that, but it's quoted a couple of times in the Scriptures, and the the the, the um, apostles drew from it, and uh, they it puts a whole lot of background into this thing about Sarah and the the sacrifice, the binding they call it of. Of Isaac, and uh, it's interesting. We noticed that I'd never noticed before that uh, Sarah died in Hebron, but mm-hmm. when when Abraham left, he left from uh, best um, uh, the other place they were in best Beth, Beth, not Bethesda, but I forget the name now. All of a sudden, and he went up to Hebron from with with Isaac. So we wonder when she died there. What was she, what was she doing there that far away? It was like 15 miles, what they say was like, you know, a good, a good solid two or three day journey to get to Hebron from Beersheba. That's where they were, where they started out. And uh and the Jasher goes in and explains a whole lot about that, that she was going to see find out where where her son went, where did they go? And actually they had a thing in there which it may not be it may be allegorical, but that the, the saint had come and told her that that what what Abraham was up to and uh that he had and 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 he lied to her and said and and he killed him and he burned him you know Abraham burned Isaac, and so she went out to see what was going on and she found out that that he he had been saved, and it, she was so happy that that's when her spirit left her but it's interesting that they that we we see these things we know he's really I don't really even think about it she was in Hebrew and, okay what's you know that doesn't mean anything to me because I don't, I had no idea about the distances and so forth. But with the background, it makes it really interesting that she was involved in that whole thing too. Only from a different point of view, she was very worried about losing her son when he went off with Abraham, even though she didn't know that what the what the what was supposed to go on. And anyway, I thought it was interesting to go to see, to see those extra, what they call extra canonical books that are yeah. often quoted in the scriptures. Um, and th- th- they have a lot of information in them, which we hopefully is correct.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the things that you would say, is, you know, trust, but verify, um, you know, some of the things like, you know, you'll say like the, uh, the, the book of Enoch being, being quoted uh, a couple of lines in this and that. But, uh, you know, then again, uh there's also a lot of uh information in the in the talmud and such about all kinds of historical events um you know take those leave them you're like okay that's that's an interesting idea but who knows uh it's 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 not presented in there it could be great fiction people trying to fill in some some details of what happened in in the gaps that are in the bible but you know, it's one of those things that, you know, what is your basis going to be to compare things to? You know, because... The
4: same guys who build, who did the canon did the Nicene Creed and all of those kind of things, which we know are to be very against uh, true what we hope is true worship. Right. But they were the ones that decided on the canon, so...
0: Well, the, the, the canon... Uh, yeah the canon related to some of those pseudepigraphal books and uh apocryphal books was uh decided uh long before the nicene creed so on on some of those books so that's uh that's a it's a much larger discussion because in some of them uh, one of the ones i've looked into specifically is the book of jubilees that people like to talk about a lot um uh, number one, some of the timelines of events that are recorded in the word are different in the book of Jubilees. Number two, the uh, language that linguists say is much later Hebrew, like um, down near the couple centuries BC. So much later than it supposedly was uh, written in the time frame for it. So there are a number of reasons why it's not even in the Jewish canon in some cases. So, that is a much larger discussion. It's one of those things of trust, but verify and uh, look into the reasons why those things were not included in there.
4: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm not going to stake my salvation on it, but mm-hmm. interesting that it filled in, but it seemed to fill in a bunch of gaps and it didn't seem to be any contradictions really. So,
0: yeah. And that's, and that's what you'll see in some of the, um, the proto epistles and proto uh, gospels that you'll see floating around is they quote, fill in some gaps like gospel of Thomas filling in gaps of the, um, you know, the Messiah's early life. Well, they're like, okay. Yeah, but it also brings in some, some uh, views of uh, who the Messiah is and what he taught that if, if true would be truly diabolical. So that's again, trust, but verify. Any other thoughts before we close things out today?
2: Um, I'm just kind of reading. Uh, sorry, I, I do like to talk, guys. But I'm just kind of reading this, you know, again, thinking about the whole, you know, Trump loss and um, kind of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where we should stand because, you know, I just think like during the time that, you know, they, these, you know, they're trying, what I don't understand is why do they try to say they're, you know, pro-Israel when I'm, I'm listening to like a lot of the stations in San Francisco, like, you know, KQED type stuff or whatever. I don't know. They have other ones, but, you know, they're always trying to push, you know, anti-Israel, you know, anti You know they're pushing the palace you know trying to take the palestinian side and you know say you know
0: it 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 simply it simply goes through um what what the master said in in a different context but it, it applies is by your fruits you will know them you know it doesn't matter what they are talking a great line but if their actions and their behavior starts to go in a different direction, then you'll know what the true source of, a, of the thing is. Again, character over packaging,
2: right? And then, in-
0: so that that should that should be that should be what you know. We don't get we don't get flummoxed over it. We just need to know what the character is, what the true heritage what the true teachings are that are brought down to us from heaven and move forward with that that way we'll know when we're being hoodwinked when we're being sold some bill of goods and that we don't get ourselves involved with with something that um, is leading in the wrong direction
2: Yeah, the only reason why I was making that comment, up is because someone was saying, like, where's the Antichrist going to come from? You know, uh, it was asking me that, and I kind of didn't have an answer, you know, like, I I don't know.
0: Well, we we don't know, but what we do know is what kinds of things that the anti-Messiah will say, and that will be against what the Messiah taught. And against what the Torah taught. So if we know those two things, um, we will, (laughs) as uh, Messiah talked about with other uh, wolves that were prowling around even in his time, that uh, they will, the sheep will hear his voice, that we will hear his voice. And if we start hearing something that sounds quite different from the Messiah, sounds quite different from the Torah, we're like, "Mm, No no matter how good the packaging is, how good the presentation is, how much you want to believe it. um, The, the thing is, is we just have to cling to the things that we know are true and then help, help other people help other people to see, Hey, uh, this is headed in a wrong direction.
2: Yeah. And I just, you know, I'm just making a comment, you know, that, You know, like, it's just kind of sad how people are like, kind of pushing the agenda that it's Trump's fault and it's Trump's the liar and
0: people, people will push all kinds of things. People will push all kinds of things.
2: It's been going on with their side for how long now? I mean, I just feel like they're just angry because they're not getting their full way or something.
0: Right? And, and, th- and that will happen. As, as we've seen it foretold, is that, um, that when light comes in, people get angry. We see the prophets talk about that around the day of the Lord, the things that are true will be called falsehoods, and that's what falsehood's called true. We've been told all this stuff, and one of the things that comes down to us is that don't worry when you see these things happening. Because number one, you know that the Lord still has control over it because you know it's going to end. And number two, you know what the, what the truth is, so cling to those things. We don't get upset about those things that are false, and we know that um, the, the death rattle of the kingdom of the adversary is going to be very, very, very loud. Very loud, and it's going to have a lot of supporters, so, we know that. We know that going in. So, we are not troubled. We're not troubled by lies. We're not troubled by deceptions. We help people see them, but it doesn't unhinge us. We just you know, cry out for it to eventually come to an end.
3: The reason that the other side, quote, quote, is unhinged is because politics has become their idol.
0: Yes, that's that's indeed true.
3: And so um, that's why if the situation were reversed right now, as far as the counts are concerned with the um, votes, that's why all those uh, businesses in those big cities had boarded up themselves with uh, plywood and everything else. Because we they knew that if the other side had lost or were seen to have lost, they would have destroyed everything because for that side of the aisle, politics is their religion yes their religion is um basically voted out they get angry and they strike out with violence yes you know those of us who believe in hashem regardless of whether we lean democrat or we lean republican or we lean libertarian or however we roll we cannot allow ourselves to get that emotionally distraught who happens to be In any particular office, whether it's the representative in Congress or the representative in the state Senate or the president or anybody else, because God moves those things around as he sees fit for his glory.
0: Yes, and, and, and keep in mind that the prophet Daniel served under multiple empires in very high office. So... Um, yeah, you know, He was not a pussycat, didn't just roll over when people said, You can't believe this and that and the other. But he was put there and stayed there and for quote multiple administrations, so to speak. So we in ourselves should, you know, have the, the similar trust, but also similar standing firm with the things that we, we know are true and not get. Swayed by other things as they come along, so that's one of the great hopes that we have is that the and when I, when I'm saying hope, this is not just oh what if this is that we we know the way it's going to end, and that is a surety. And we 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 had a a preview when we're talking about people lashing out. We had a preview of this um, a couple of decades ago, when actually it was probably three decades ago now when um, there was starting to become a a growing very educated very astute very eloquent position put forward by not only believers but also a growing number of non-believers that the bill of goods that we've been sold about how the world and the universe came to be is um, like the emperor wearing no clothes and when that became to be uh, put forward very eloquently, very astutely, very concretely, and very completely, you started to see the same things we see now. You're seeing that people were canceled, they were thrown out of their jobs, they were, uh, their papers weren't published, and on and on and on. That, that was going on for decades before we've gotten to this point. This is now just morphed over into a different arena. But it is the same spirit The same spirit behind it, the same spirit that was opposing the truth about who created, uh, as the the Apostle Paul puts it, the suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That was there decades ago, and we saw where that was headed. This has now just moved into a different arena, and as it keeps moving along, and we will see, and we've been warned well ahead of time hundreds of years ago, that this is the direction that it's going to go and it's going to pick up speed, it's going to accelerate, it's going to get more um, desperate from the adversary, but we don't worry. We don't worry. We don't worry if death takes us first before we see it. We don't worry if we die in the midst of it. We don't worry about the things that come along. We are entrusted with the legacy of the Creator of Heaven and Earth, and that is what our duty is, is to pass this along to our families, to those around us, to be the light in the darkness. Because as it's the, the, uh, the apostle, Yochanan brings out that when light comes into the world, the darkness cannot withstand it. Because as we talked about, darkness is the absence of light. The adversary does not exist on his own. If he is not allowed to exist anymore, he doesn't exist anymore. And we see that. <laughs> we see that specifically uh, foretold there at the end of Revelation that uh, his power cord is pulled at one point, And death and the grave and the adversary and the lies and all that stuff goes into the lake of fire with him. And that is the end of it. Doesn't exist on its own. Darkness does not exist on its own. It is only allowed to be there because of the light. And we can argue with why it's allowed to persist for so long, but we know what the outcome is in it. We don't have to fear it. All right, close with prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for giving us your words and for warning us about these things so far ahead of time. And as you've told us that we need to prepare ourselves that we can stand that we can overcome and we we thank you for giving us hope for giving us strength to stand we thank you for covering over our sins transgressions and iniquities through the blood of your son yeshua and father we pray that your kingdom comes soon and that your mashiach will reign we thank you for these things in the name of your son yeshua amen